Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we will continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Right. And you're going to add one thing. Remember we had a staff meeting? Yes, we did. And I was going to give you a chance to say hello. And hello. then I was... <laughs> so say Anything. hello. Okay. Hello. All right. All right. Uh, no one can tell how I'm running things. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what we wanted to do, we usually wait till the very end to say that we want to hear from you. And we're not going to wait to the end this time. Uh, we want to know what you think of what we're providing. If you have questions, comments, requests, we have resources available through our website and through contacting us. We have some papers and some other resources. And just encourage you uh, to get in touch with us. Uh, email Jenny at BernsteinInstitute.com or our phone number at our institute is 707-781-3335. And you can reach either Peter or myself on that number. Or others. Or others. We have right. others, yes. Others, others. But, you know, one thing we, didn't, we never mentioned in the beginning is that we specialize in trauma recovery and uh, helping people to reach new new heights that they never thought possible after, because they've gone through difficulties at hard times. Um, but they do still have to go through the impact of what they've been taking on. Lately, we've been talking about um, caregivers and first responders. Um, I frankly don't get real focused only on one thing because... They all have something in common. They all give of themselves to help others in a very selfless way. Um, and even though I would think the first responders that you know of, the firefighters, the cops, uh, people who come who are attached with fire... Uh, um, EMTs, EMTs, paramedics. paramedics, which do fabulous yeah. work. They really do. Um, on the outside, they're a tougher lot in some ways because they deal with much, in some ways, much more dangerous traumas. Um, but the truth of the matter is, it's the same heart, it's the same kind of thing that all caregivers um, do. And it's not, for, it's not a calling for everybody in everyone's life. Some people don't have, aren't equipped. Um, they don't have what it takes to be one of these people that wherever the danger is, or where the difficulty is, wherever the pain is, they're, these are the folks that go right to it, and they have an ability to engage with empathy and sensitivity and skill, and they don't just get stuck in the middle of it. They, they really can move through it with a great deal. I've seen so much, as much as strength, as much of the strength I've seen for the first responders of all kinds, I've also seen sensitivity and an ability to hang in there when things are really difficult um, with such heart. They, these are a type of folks that are called empaths, and they are very selfless, um, and they care much, they care a lot. They're much more open 
to be honest with you, much more sensitive. Um, most of them that I know, and this is a generalization, have had trauma and pain in their own past. But instead of getting stuck there or shut down or um, cut off, these are the folks that take the, they, they do something else with it. They take it and they, they make something good come out of it. And they begin to develop a, a, an ability and a skill and a desire to help others that are in traumatic, difficult situations because they know what it feels like they've been there. These are the folks that are willing to put in an awful lot of time and energy to train, um, to really in some ways to deal with themselves so they, if there's things that get in the way and they get kind of stuck in the middle, they don't stay there. They want to move through it and they do. So they show a, a courage to overcome their own traumas, their own fears, their own pain, and um, their own self-consciousness to really help others. And they're very, they're very motivated, but also very sensitive. And I, I'm, these are my favorite folks. Um, but I see the same heart in caregivers who come to the side of those that are sick and, and dying um, or recovering from very serious illnesses. And it's the same heart. It's people who are right there at, at, those, at the side of those that are, in, in, are suffering or in danger or facing such difficulties in their lives. These are the folks that really, right there, they hang in there, right there, and they have a, they're a special breed. Yeah, and they, uh, they mean a lot to me. I know it's not for everybody. I see, I see other people that just freeze. They get petrified, they can't move, um, they'll run away. Uh, there's variations, but there's plenty of folks that take a look at this and they want out, or they get so scared that they freeze so they become kind of a liability to helping rather than an enhancement. So there's a lot of variations we've seen um, but we're going to talk to those folks that are on the front lines. Um, and there's a price to be paid. When you are going into this kind of work, and, and I call it a call, it's got to be a calling on your life. There's a spiritual element to this, for sure. Um, I don't mean religiously, but definitely there's some kind of spiritual purpose to all of this. Um, you're going to be coming up against things that you go in with good intentions, uh, 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 repertoire of skills and, and all of that and training but you're going to come up against situations that are overwhelming um, that you're not going to be successful you're not going to be able to help these people or the situations are so overpowering that you, you can't defeat it the firefighters who have been in Australia the firefighters that have been in Sonoma County they have been up against incredible overwhelming dangerous situations and they couldn't beat it they had to just do the best they could and help people get out and save them and save what they could um, so so we reached we were involved with with situations that we're not always going to be successful at and what it does is it throws us back on ourselves as caregivers um, first responders um, in the sense that we have to it, it kind of strips you down it really strips you to your core. And eventually, I have never seen anybody not reach this point. Um, it may, it varies. I've seen people who feel they're very disciplined and very rigid, and but yet they mean well. And they think that that's not gonna happen to them. Well, I can tell you, 
it's it happens to everyone and when that when that experience begins to happen what we begin to feel again is vulnerable powerless ineffective failures um, it's very become very overly sensitive to being criticized even when they're not um, th things begin to not <laughs> come through in a, sh in a good way so they begin to make mistakes in the sense of how they relate what they do and if they're not supported well and they're not in the place of really wanting to look at themselves and become and grow and change and and become better people through all of this they actually become a liability and a burden so um, I know that that's a big concern for a lot of um, firefighting teams and cops I mean they pay attention to that and, and if somebody becomes a liability uh, they don't they're not embraced should I say um, but what I am looking at and in, in, in what we see um, are folks that need help and these are the helpers and it's coming to grips with ourselves and being able to read ourselves and understand that we're thrust in situations or we thrust ourselves in these situations as caregivers but we're absorbing the energy of these traumatic situations and it very well may do what we call triggering and it, that means it brings up eventually our own traumas our own um, damage and it begins to interfere with uh, with our effectiveness it, we also usually begin to get emotionally very drained and if this keeps up and and it, it's not supported and 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 there's not the effective help that these folks need they burn out which means they're not going to do it anymore they're going to reach a point of being not just ineffective but they won't want to do it and the truth of the matter is um, when they're in that kind of bad shape you don't want them to be around anyway because they're bitter and resentful um, and that's not we don't need that that's that's something we don't need but anyway we were talking last time and I, I wanted to find a way to have some kind of continuity or bridge from what we were talking about in the last episode and um, Jenny's usually very good about this but I think that we were talking about the impact of um, these situations on caregivers the, the impact that it, the price that we pay and also how it begins to affect us personally affect our personal lives our family lives um, and how if it's not managed well how destructive things can become uh, I think you know my memory isn't as clear as Jenny's although she's got a cold today everybody and she's not thinking that clearly. I'm a little clearly. foggy. I'm she's a little got foggy. a foggy head today. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I think that usually we, when Jenny remembers and encapsulates I think that we were talking about um, we were talking about relationships, weren't we? Uh, we were talking Trauma. about relationships and some of what we were t calling reenactment, and um, in regard to first responders and caregivers. And um, you got into a discussion of triggering, and um, which is uh, leaving someone in a like you've been talking about just now in a place of needing in a situation which requires a response and um, maybe someone can respond or react 
they get triggered, they go into hyper alert, ready to react or respond, and then um, they end up getting stuck there. That's one of the reactions. That's one of the reactions. You're talking about that the stress response is what gets triggered. Yes. And that means our nervous systems go into a hyper alert kind of response. Um, that can be very appropriate in dangerous situations. The problem that you're talking about is when their old personal material comes out in their old damage and the old reactions to the damage, and it doesn't fit the current situation. And when you're talking about that stress response being triggered, you're talking about the fight, flight, or freeze re reactions. Um, and those are all defensive reactions. Um, they could be very appropriate at the time that it comes up, but when we're when old responses and old triggerings bring up these old materials and it may be just the opposite so if you're talking about somebody who is in the midst of a, a, a firefight or something like that and very difficult and all of a sudden they get triggered because for a number of reasons and they go to an old reaction of paralysis and they freeze that can be very <coughs> dangerous and inappropriate and um, we've seen, I've seen it happen a l many times when all of a sudden very effective people just absolutely freeze and they become a liability instantly and they actually can take a toll on a lot of other people too. I've seen that. We've seen the, f the flight. When they need to engage, they're running the other way. Um, and it's an old reaction to fe some fearful, overwhelming reaction from the past, and it doesn't fit the present, but they're reacting out of the present, out of, out of the past. Um, so we're looking at these things and we're going, well, how do, you, what do you deal with, how do you deal with this? If it happens to everybody to some degree or another, that eventually we're, we are stripped and, made to, and we've come to a point of being vulnerable, and if our old damage comes up with it, and that's possible, and the old reactions to it come up, that could be... A liability. For, it is definitely the truth. That's a good question. How do we deal with it? Well, let's come back to that. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Uh, today, we are returning to caregivers and first responders. Uh, the people who in our, in our world are ready to get involved in crises or in very difficult situations. They engage, they have empathy, they've developed the skills and the strength and the sensitivity to come alongside people in need. Um, they can, though, in very difficult situations, end up being overwhelmed and feeling powerless. They are then thrown back on themselves. They can feel stripped and vulnerable. And um, if they are not receiving the right support, the right help, uh, the right chance to work through these emotions and these experiences, they can head into burnout. 
we were going to connect to what we were doing last week by talking about triggering. Mm-hmm. When an overwhelming experience in the present brings up something from the past for a caregiver, first responder, who often, usually, have their own painful history. Uh, we talked about how this can bring up fight, flight, or freeze, uh, which um, gets in the way of an effective response in the present. And Peter, before our break, posed the question, well, how do we deal with this? So if this happens to us, how do we deal with it? Uh, so let's return to that. Well, the first part, we were talking about triggering, we are talking about what you just described, but you got to ask yourself, well, why is this old traumatic I- injury still so easily, not easily, but activated? What causes that? I think that's a darn good question. And I'll tell you what causes it. The nervous system, um, due to earlier traumas in a person's life, maybe developmental, which means it's in their upbringing or um, something, shock traumas or something, you know, those very, very serious things for a young person to deal with. What really uh, begins to, what really happens is there's some mechanisms that we need to have during traumatic situations to protect ourselves. They're automatic, they're instinctual, they're built in, and we need them. Uh, one of them is called a, a disassociation. It's it's out. It's a disconnect. Now, if you've ever been through really traumatic situations, you know how valuable that is. Where in some ways you have to sh- you have to push the sh- off button where you can't be vulnerable. A situation is so demanding, so overpowering, terrifying um, that you've you've got to go into action without. Um, being too too wide open at that point because you got to do things. You don't have time to think. You got to make it happen, and it can be very frightening. And the energy that goes with these traumatic situations is so intense. Almost, I can't even imagine for a child. It's it's beyond unbearable. They're not equipped for adults. It's unbearable. But there's automatic mechanisms that protect us. And um, what will happen is we will actually disconnect from those things so we can take care of the situation at hand. And our bodies will react um, in new ways that we don't expect. You've heard about, uh, I'm sure everybody's heard stories about um, mothers where their children have been trapped into a car or, or some very heavy thing that would be impossible to lift. And those mothers can absolutely lift that heavy burden off their child to save the child. It's, we've heard those stories many times because they, their system goes into such an intense energy and hyper, uh, hyper intensity for that trauma. They're able to do some amazing things. It may hurt their bodies afterwards, but during it, they could, I've seen it, where they can lift these most massive objects off to save someone. Um, I've done it. I've been part of it. I always, I, <laughs> I appreciate it, but that is appropriate at the time. The and you can't sit there and start thinking about it. It's got to happen. But what we really uh, run into is the energy that goes into that hyper arousal in our nervous system um, has a time and a place to be used. After the situation is over. A normal nervous system will discharge that intense energy and go back to a self, normal self-regulation where it goes into a more relaxed state again. 
Um, animals do it in a very primitive way, and we share that part of the brain too. Um, we have it too, where if they're threatened, they'll go into hyper alert. You'll see the hair, their eyes bulge out of their head, their 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 hair and their neck goes straight up. Their energy is intense. They're ready to f fight or flight, um, flee. But what happens to them is they don't have an interfering part of their brain. They don't think like we do. They don't have the neocortex. So they'll discharge that energy and their nervous system will get rid of all of it and it will come back to normal self-regulation and be in a more vulnerable, receptive state again. Now, for people that have post-traumatic injury, stress injuries, they don't do that. So what happens is we cut off the ability to let go our brains interfere, our neocortex, our thinking processes will actually shut that down, and we don't go to normal self-regulation. What happens is the nervous system needs that completion, but it doesn't get it. And it doesn't stay conscious anymore, but it's always keeping our nervous system on hyper-alert, hyper-arousal. It's not a good place to stay. We're not designed that way. We'll eventually burn out our adrenals and run into a lot of physical problems but what happens um, in situations like that um, is that triggering will actually bring up that old experience and will bring up the unresolved blocked energy that went with that old experience and the, the nervous system is still looking for completion discharge relaxation okay it hungers for that it's not a conscious thing. It's intuitive. It's instinctual. And what happens is that old energy will come up without the resolve. The intensity's there. It holds the old memory and it holds the old reactions. So when that comes up in the current situation and it doesn't fit, you can see people start overreacting. I've seen it lately in some of our own teams where um, something happens and they'll get triggered and all of a sudden, they're not thinking straight. And their reactivity is absolutely affecting their appropriate judgment for the current situation. And they're out of control. And it takes somebody to come alongside them and say, stop, you're out of control. And that doesn't fit for right now. And you can't do that. Now, they can't seem to find that ability within themselves. I've seen it many times. It happens to the best of us. But when it does, the current situations that demand our attention get compromised and, and, and contaminated. So that's what the triggerings begin to, how they begin to affect us. Now, as caregivers, first responders, cops, um, nurses, doctors, home caregiving, you know, those folks are going to eventually be stripped. They, it, it just happens because we're giving all of the time. And eventually... Um, we're going to be thrown back on ourselves. And you know what we're going to feel like? Vulnerable. We're going to feel powerless. We're going to feel frustrated and unhappy because we're not going to be able to do what we'd like to do. That's where the triggerings begin to happen. So in this work, a great liability, one of the great liabilities is, um, it causes what they call post-traumatic stress injuries, but also... Um, people begin to deteriorate and they lose their resilience. If this is not taken care of in an appropriate way, it'll eventually lead to burnout. What is a burnout? They're done. 
They'll run the. They don't want anything to do with it anymore. They become resentful, bitter, um, negative, and you won't. <laughs> there's nowhere to be found. So um, you can lose a valuable person that way. As far as uh, a, a team member, um, so the, these things do happen. Um, our concern is this: is that how do we prevent this? Can it can it be changed? Could it be? Can is there inter, are there interventions that can happen? The answer is absolutely. That's why we've been working, and I've been working in trauma recovery for almost 50 years. Of course it can be. But the thing is, you can't just talk somebody out of this. You may be able to put them on the right track temporarily to get, keep their, their actions appropriate for the present. But whatever's been triggered doesn't just disappear. And that's where you, you, we have to kind of look at things differently. And that's what we've talked about in past episodes of how important it is to be tuned into the body. The body's the reservoir of all of these experiences, all of this trapped energy, and it remembers. It also gives us red flags. It begins to tell us when things are off. It begins to tell us that we're carrying too much pain, that we're not taking care of ourselves, um, that we're, we're not having a good cry or, or we're not getting out there and doing some exercise. We're not taking care of ourselves well anymore. That will lead to triggerings. That will lead to burnout. But can it be addressed? And the answer is yes, as long as you deal with it biologically as well. Not, mentoring is important. Up-to-date perspective and encouragement and training is important. But if you don't get to that biological level of where this, this energy is, is trapped, it will just keep repeating itself over and over and over again. Why? Because underneath it is looking for the resolve and the completion that it never got in the first place. And that can have some very destructive implications. Um, it may not all be conscious either, but it gets in the way of people achieving and sustaining a better life, more effective work. Um, so it's very important for us to, to encourage people to deal with it at a biological level. Uh, we do body work, we do a special kind of body work that I developed, not as psychotherapy, but as for trauma recovery. And it works, and it relieves the pain. But with people first have to be aware that when they reach a certain point, their bodies are giving them signals that they're carrying pain or stress um, that may not necessarily just have to do with the present, but it's the old, incomplete experience that's causing it as well. So that's what we specialize in, and we encourage anyone who's in this work to learn about that and learn how to do it. We do trainings. We, we want people to learn that... And, that there's got to be a, a, uh, an understanding, a safe place, a, a competence in um, supporting and working this stuff out. We know it's possible. We've been doing it a long time. That's why we're doing these podcasts. We want to reach more and more people, and we want to help them to know one thing, that I don't care how bad you feel, and you're going to feel bad because you got to go through the emotions of it. There is hope because you can get through it. With the right help, you can definitely get through it. And it doesn't have to be only clinical and psychotherapeutic. You know, there's other ways to do it as well. Um, so um, we want to encourage people to keep an open mind. We've written so many papers and published so many papers. We have a book called Trauma Healing the Hidden Epidemic. We have many papers we've published. And those are available to you. 
That's right. We have got, uh, we'll give that information again, uh, where you can come to us for some of this information. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. We are talking about the um, what happens when uh, we are faced with a difficult situation. Caregivers, first responders, this could happen to anybody, too. Something that calls on us for, um, in a very difficult situation, to respond and, and uh, even kind of go beyond ourselves to help someone else. Um, an intense energy charge comes up to be able to take care of what we're being called to do in this crisis or this difficult situation. And um, often, uh, if this is not discharged, it lingers in the body and it can cause um, disease, burnout, uh, depletion. Uh, our bodies need to complete the release of that energy in order to come back to a normal decompressed state. Uh, our bodies are, are, we can crave, Peter says it's almost like an unconscious hunger to resolve these experiences that weren't resolved in real, in real time. Mm -hmm. um, one of the keys that Peter's pointing out to know whether this has happened to you is if you can tune into your body and feel that there's something going on, uh, that you have leftover energy charge, leftover symptoms of, of distress in your body. And I do also, I want to go back to another part, too. Um, we were talking about um, dissociation and what happened. It, there's a, there's a, a body element to dissociation, too. There's a separation. Um, but anyway, let's go back to the response of the body that you were talking about. Okay. First of all, when you talk about dissociation, a much less clinical word is called splitting off. You sp we split. And I talked about earlier how there's a time and a place that that's appropriate. When you're in a dangerous situation and it calls for action, you can't sit there and reflect and introspect. You've got to go into action. <clears throat> so there is, and it also is protection. If the situation is so intense and so frightening and dangerous... You can't stay wide open. You've got to shut down because it's it's just too much to take on, and it's so terrifying. So there's a there is a time and a place where disassociation or splitting off is real appropriate, and you don't have to think about it. Your body will. It's like a safety mechanism. Your nervous system intuitively will will do it. Yes. No. That's the problem is when it stays that way when it, when the danger's over. Yes. And it doesn't shake off the energy, and it doesn't go to a decompressed, it doesn't decompress. Then you have what they call post-traumatic stress injuries. And that's what we don't want to have happen. We want to find ways to diffuse that before it creates serious problems. I think last time we were talking about something where, how this manifests itself for first responders and caregivers is in their personal lives. Because what begins to happen is they're, they're very tuned in to, and I have very good friends that are <coughs> first responders, um, 
And honestly, they do a great job, and they are tuned for the emergency and crisis at any moment. They personalize, and um, they're married, they're lovers, they have kids, they, you know, they have their own lives too. And that's where it begins. The damage begins to show in itself in their relationships. In their relationships, um, we talked about it last week about um, the the vets that came back. I think the movie called American Sniper. Um, Marcus is that no that was uh, Chris Kyle Kyle, and if you remember that movie it was a very well done movie it's a true story about the effect that combat had on this this guy was an the most incredible sniper saved many marines and was attached to a lot of units and saved a lot of lives and he I think he did two four very very tough tours he was a Navy SEAL but the problem was when he came home and he could not go to a more vulnerable state. He, he was still defended, highly defended. Absolutely. His emotions were, or his feelings were very much protected, and in it, he, he could not be vulnerable. Yeah, he didn't want to be. And yeah. um, he had a loving wife, and she loved him. Um, but when he came home, he couldn't relate to her. She couldn't reach him. And he would just be cut off. And there was no way to get those defenses down because... The truth of the matter is the intimacy of their love relationship was too threatening. That was the real threat. That her caring and concern and love for him was the real threat because that would begin to bring down his defenses and he would begin to feel again. All the situations that had been, all the tragedies, disasters, horrible things uh, that he's seen in combat they add up it's a, if you, a cumulative a, effect a cumulative effect which yes. is very dangerous the cumulative yeah. effect it, it's that's where real trouble is it comes about and what happens is he didn't even want to go near it as courageous as he was this is not what he wanted to deal with so he would he would go out back on more combat missions to stay away from his wife and family although he loved them and he needed them um, it was just unbearable for him to tolerate the emotions that he was carrying from the chaotic, horrible traumas that he's been through in combat. Well, first responders have a very similar kind of mechanism. So they don't want to begin to feel the crises, the traumas, the horrible situations. They're, f- they're the first people on the scene of these horrible things. And... Um, after it's over, a lot of times, and I, I, I hope that I, I'm really looking forward to the first responder culture to change. But basically, um, they would do a lot of drinking built into the culture, do mm-hmm. drugs. There'd be a lot of antagonism in within the teams. There's a lot of that kind of thing. They got they're used to dealing with it as part of the culture, but it doesn't work. In the long run, it creates an incredible problem and some of my very close friends are first responders I witnessed it firsthand and they're good people but after they were done and they would just sit around and get drunk and I don't mean drunk obnoxiously loaded I mean it was almost like they just wanted to find some kind of normal something that would numb them yes and just get back to don't disturb anything and they would use the drinking and the drugs for that purpose. So they wouldn't feel right on the edge of, le- of being afraid that they were going to lose control. They didn't want that. And the other things that I saw come up a lot was physical 
I would call it psychosomatic ailments. Now, I don't mean that as a psychotherapist, but what I saw was they'd actually have injuries and physical problems that would come up from these accumulated stressful situations that they did not decompress. So even though they'd have loving families, they'd have the people I knew had loving kids, and they couldn't relate a lot of times. The other thing that you've mentioned, too, is um, real high adrenaline activities, real... Uh, dangerous diving, dangerous. That's the addictive part. I have, yeah. I, I yeah. unfortunately have that too, <laughs> and um, it's an it is an addiction, and and it's uh, it's a way of dealing with that high intensity uh, adrenaline adrenalized state. Um, I have it, and uh, I've been injured plenty, and usually it's funny as an aside. I have a number of injuries lately that are healing so quickly, and some people that know me and friends will say, "Well, you never give, you never stop to give it a chance to heal." And you know what my answer is? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I can, intend I want to keep going. <laughs> and they say, "Well, then how is it going to heal?" And I says, "You know what? It better take care of itself. <laughs> we'll get it done." But I'm not going to. I like what I'm doing. I, I'm a. I love it. I get off on it, but it is adrenalized. Yeah. And it's something that it's like. In some ways, it takes me away from my pain. I got to tell you, is it some kind of a discharge, though? It is it a part of a discharge? It can be. It is for me, and but that's interesting because I need a certain level of intensity of my system feeling that kind of danger for it to discharge, and I know that to be true. Um, I'm a cutting horse enthusiast. I ride my horses. I keep them in good shape. But that doesn't do it for me until I go into the com- competition arena and I'm cutting and the adrenaline's high and the, there's a certain level of intensity and tra- danger to it. That's when I, my system releases. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I relax. That's one thing. I, being in this work for as long as I have, I've also um, had to come to understanding how important it is to build in emotional decompression into my life. I'd never be able to do as much work as I do after almost 50 years if I didn't take care of myself that way, too. So I'm a little bit more well-rounded than just a, a wild rodeo cowboy type. And yeah, you're not self-destructive. That that can go towards self-destructive. Either. No, I'm not. And um, could I have been? Yeah. But I, I will make, you know, the truth is I do read my body. And when I'm involved with a lot of pain and trauma recovery, um, with dealing with lots of folks, bringing them through it, helping them through it. My own life, I have plenty of trauma now with my wife being so ill and my mother. Um, these things take a toll. But one of the things that I've, I've learned about self-care is how to deal with myself emotionally and read my body. And when I start feeling, a, if I'm in a situation with certain people and there's a lot of anger and rage and frustration to their grief, which can happen, I'll notice after I help them, and I do maybe four or five in a row, and you can attest to this because you're my assistant, mm-hmm. I'll notice my jaw is darn tight, and my muscles are tighter than normal, and my there I'm feeling pain in the back of my neck, and I'm feeling pressure in my head, and I know what that is. And that's the emotional component that I've absorbed by taking care of these folks. I get them in good shape. That doesn't mean I haven't been impacted. Enough of that, and I always make sure that, and eventually I don't even have to, my body will do it. I will discharge that emotionally 
And um, but now that doesn't, um, and I, this isn't quite the right word, but that doesn't scare you. The idea of of actually working through that, letting it go, no. uh, you see it as a normal, uh, natural part of preserving yourself for the work that you want to do. I me, don't think all caregivers no, and I don't, first responders see it not. that way. And I and I this has been a uh, this has been something that's been a concern to me for years because I know so many good people doing so many good so much good work. I wanted to I did want to preserve myself. I did want to find resilience. And I didn't want to carry the burdens because I knew how destructive I could be. I had a part before I learned to do all this, I was very destructive. And had a, a, a tremendous temper, and um, I, I know I was a danger. I was a dangerous person. I know it, and I was involved in a culture that that was. So many people were like that. So I thought that was the norm. It wasn't. And when I got away from that culture, I discovered my tuning and my nervous system didn't fit most pla- most cultures and most most places. I did go get some help. I did get help. And truthfully, it had to be more than just a person talking me out of it. That didn't work because I was so physical. And I realized the body was so crucial in um, finding the the healing. And I was right. Um, I did enough research and study to realize I was certainly not the first person that discovered this. And we've taken it much further than... In our skills, we've added a lot to it with physical therapies, the myofascial release, the Reikian part of it. Who I'm not a Reikian, but he certainly had the the right emphasis on recognizing how the body protects itself and armors itself from the pain it carries, and how it protects itself. And if we don't release that physical armor that can that that holds it in, well, physical. You'll see your you'll see a deterioration of your health. You'll see people fight, get strokes and heart attacks, cancer. Um, you'll see this trapped energy and how really destructive it can be. Yes. So I didn't want to be one of those. I'll be honest with you. If I had a fear, it was like I knew that could happen to me, and I didn't want it. And you didn't want it. And I didn't want to hurt people I loved either. No. No. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. We are talking about the, how the cumulative effect of trauma that doesn't get discharged for caregivers, first responders, uh, can end up manifesting in personal life and relationships. Uh, there's a lot of ways that can come out that are not constructive, uh, drinking, disease, uh, risky behaviors. Um, what we ended up talking about at the end, which I want to return to, mm-hmm. is the need for the kind of effective self-care discharge of this energy and emotional buildup to enable uh, a caregiver or first responders to continue in their work. To give and, them resilience. And I just want to mention something, which is that you trained with a, a group of, of, of men and women in your profession mm-hmm. many years ago. A long time ago. And um, you are pretty much the only one still doing this work. And you've said several times how 
difficult this work is and how demanding it is. And I think there's a parallel to first responders and caregivers. The work is difficult. It's demanding. It, is re- it can be rewarding and satisfying and fulfilling. And, fulfilling. and yet uh, it's, a, it's a loss when people who started off on this path and wanted to make a difference don't aren't able to stay the course and take care of themselves in a way that allows them to prolong their their effectiveness and their own personal life as well. I know. You know, one of the things I carried with me, and I think this was a little different from a lot of my colleagues, is, and I believe this was an attitude that I had, and that I was a tough guy, and I felt like I could handle anything. Believe me, I couldn't. But my attitude, I, I carried that over from the life that I had before I became a psychotherapist. And I don't profess to do psychotherapy anymore, folks. I'm now a mentor and a consultant and specializing in training and, and helping others, definitely. But um, I, I take it out of the world of psychotherapy at this point. But when I, when I go back to and I, I looked at that... My attitude carried over. You know, I, I was willing to take things on and uh, tough it out more than most people. Um, I, I could tolerate. It didn't mean I didn't feel the pain, but for some reason I could tolerate a lot of pain. And it gave me a resilience to work on and work through things that were just excruciating and difficult. So even though I reached a point in my work where... It was physically unbearable, the pain I was absorbing from people that I was helping. I just could hang in there. I had good mentors, and I needed mentors that had many years of experience and capability. Without them, I couldn't have done it, and that's just the truth. But it helped me to get through to the other side. That learning process is what I am doing right to this day. And here I am almost 50 years later. It'll be 50 years and six, seven months. And uh, I don't see uh, things stopping because now we're applying it to folks that are doing some very meaningful, important work. Caregivers, who I just love. Uh, First responders who are always loved. Um, Understanding what they go through and what they have and what their families um, go through. Uh, It's, I do understand. I've been there and back myself. Dealing with the military, who do we take on? The Navy SEALs, Marines, the tougher types. And we saw what they go through and the price that their families pay and their health. What really astounds me is how far, that this, how, this, how far this destructive cycle has gone. When I hear the statistics about first responders having an 80% divorce rate, to me, that's beyond unacceptable. When I hear the cancer rates are so much higher than the norm, when I hear their life expectancy is short, 15 years shorter than the norm, when I hear uh, different statistics that are just devastating to me, and I listen to that and I go, that could have been me, and it's not. But I know what to do. I know how to train folks on how to make sure that doesn't happen. So I'm hearing that there's sort of two parts to this, and one is coming into it as you did, being willing to take on a, a load of pain mm-hmm. in the service of what you're doing. But that's not enough. That you, you, mm-hmm. you, there's something that needs to happen after that. There's plenty of responsibility and work involved in self-care. If you're going to help others and under these most devastating, demanding situations, 
learning self-care, you have to be a professional at self-care. One of the uh, things that I've run into many times because of my past um, are certain attitudes that I've had toward myself. And I used to think self-care meant I was being selfish. And it is not selfish at all. It's, in, it's, in, it's so important and so intrinsic to the whole process. If I'm going to be around to take care of other people and train other people and help other folks, I better be in pretty decent shape myself. And it's not like, well, you, you do it once and you're done. It's built into the whole entire journey. You've got to be able to do this on an ongoing basis when you need it. Um, I, I remember when I did a, a, I worked in a psychiatric hospital. It was a real, but for three, almost three years. And uh, not that I liked it, but I did it. And it was while I was going to get my master's or my PhD or whatever. And at that time, instead of having psychiatric interns, they had mental health workers, which that was me. And I was getting my degrees in psychology and sociology at the time. But I remember that where they put me were all the high-intensity situations. And one of the places that they would put me was in the psychiatric emergency, emergency room psychiatric care. And I thrived there. And um, I could get involved, give me the skills. They trained me, and I loved it. Uh, I loved that part of it anyway. But um, it was what it, I was drawn to that kind of thing, and I wasn't put off by it. Just give me the skills and just keep teaching me and I'll do it. But one of the things that I did see myself do, and don't get grossed out folks, is I could be involved in anything as devastating or horrible as it was and be right there to do whatever it was needed. It was afterwards that I needed some space for myself and usually I would have an emotional catharsis and I'd also, excuse me, throw up. But I could go right back to work. And my resilience, yeah. Yeah. And I got the catharsis, my system relaxed, and I was ready to go again. It wasn't like I was sick. It was my system was letting go. And that's the way it lets go. My mother tells me, my 93 month, you always like that. That's what she tells me. (laughs) I don't have our ways. I don't remember that, but she (laughs) said, you never had problems with that one, and it always seemed to work for you. And you know what? It still does. Yeah. But in the work that we've chosen, and the people that we identify with and identify with us, they need a mechanism to let down after yes. they go through these horrendous situations. Yes. Do I think from what I've seen that there's a lot of that acceptance yet? I would say there's a lot of lip service, but the attitudes that people have um, about it are not very open exactly what you're doing with your hand it's really more of a push it away rather than bring it on and work it through yeah and one of the ways you've already said about pushing it away is the drinking drugs uh, the drugs uh ways to kind of blunt the effect of it yeah and that was some of the ways and also destroying their personal lives and that's heartbreaking because then their then their partners in life become no more than caregivers walking on eggshells all the time right and the kids suffer and are traumatized it's a disaster yeah. So suicide's also very high, by the way, in these folks. So I look at that and go, that's not okay. It's not a weakness to have a place to be able to let down and process this stuff, to have a team that that's, doesn't see it as a threat but sees it as a, it should be built into the team, the self-care component, whatever forms it takes, um, and also to make sure that the biology of the trauma is dealt with 
so a person can get back to resilience and your system can come right back to a normal self-regulation. We do it on our teams at the Institute. And, we do. Um, we now, uh, I was very touched by one that I saw. We, now we do a lot of things to take care of our own, and that's what I believe in. And that's why we have so little turnover, too, mm -hmm. under a lot of intense traumatic uh, challenges. Right. Folks are very, keep getting better and better. But what I saw the other day I loved, because people from hospice who love us and work with us, mm -hmm. came in to begin to support our teams and work with them. That was another way, in my mind, to make sure our people are taken care of and given what they need. That is not a position for me to be in. I saw that. There's somebody that could do it better. And some of our friends at hospice want to work with us and want to help. And it made me feel so good. It, it is, it, what it is, is it's a recognition and an honoring mm -hmm. of the difficulty of this job of caregiving. Yeah. And uh, that there's, there's nothing wrong with someone who's a caregiver who starts to feel burdened emotionally by what they're doing. Uh, it is an, a natural thing to be honored and to be uh, respected and to be worked with and to be uh, given permission to work through. That is a big attitude shift. We have a couple of our caregivers, they don't, their attitude is to tough it through. And um, what we're seeing is they're being shaken up and they're being, and they're shaky. They're wonderful people. And I've watched what's beginning to happen. It, w it was inevitable. You can't just tough this out. You've got to kind of come to grips with yourself better. And and just to say that they they absolutely want to be there doing giving their very best and all they the time. Do the best they can. And and that that they're building into this beyond the get it to get through it is what's needed. Well, the other part of it is we can't control the outcome. And the we can manage it and we can figure out ways to make it go a little easier and better. But if we're dealing with someone who's sick and dying the situation's progressive, and it's hard on when you care about people and care about somebody to not be deeply to not be deeply affected, and realize you, no matter how much skill you have, no much determination and caring you have, in the end, it's not going to stop the death. It's not going to stop the dying. Yeah, and that's a very painful thing because we feel so powerless. We have come full circle from where we started today, which was the experience of um, the experience of giving in these extreme and extraordinary situations, and how it will always, at some point, take us back to ourselves and to the feeling of being powerless. And where do we go from there? And That's we've been talking about that today. Mm -hmm. Is there this anything is anything you want to say about that before we close? We just have maybe another minute well, or so. I'll tell you what, I'd rather feel like I have power and control. But one of the things that I found that long ago is um, how stripped I have been many times over, but through the stripping and breaking down, I found a deeper strength in myself and resilience that I ever knew I was capable of. I'm still finding it plenty. Do I like going through the process? I hate it. It's very difficult, and I would probably be without help one of those people that would go get me out of here and not run away, but certainly not accept help. But that's not where I am today, and um, I want to reach people that are doing great work, but they need the help and support now. That's what we want to do. Yes, and, I, and we know we're getting through to people all over the world on this podcast, and that's what really, because I hear from them. 
Um, I do want to reiterate, we have great papers. Yes, let me get that information yeah. to people. Thank you. So the Survivor's Guide to Life is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 public charity that relies entirely on donations from people like you. We would appreciate if you've gotten any benefit from what we've given today, if you would consider donating to sctraumatreatment.org. Um, as Dr. Bernstein Peter said, Peter, 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 Peter. Um, we have resources available, uh, papers and information. If you get in touch with us, we and also if you have any comments or questions, uh, Jenny at BernsteinInstitute.com, 707-781-3335. And thank you for listening. And thank you for what you Oh, doing. and uh, Steve what? reminded me, what? we are on Facebook and Instagram at the Survivor's Guide to Life. Please like us and follow us, and again, let us know what you think about what we're doing.